Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Really pleased to say joining us in the studio, Julian Emanuel, BTIG Chief Equity and Derivative Strategist. Julian, what a moment. 9 p.m. Eastern time last night. Let's get you to that moment. The president delivering his address. Your response as those words came out. Look, the market told you everything you needed to know that, uh, you know, there was uh, too much of an element of backward lookingness. There was a little bit too much self-congratulation. This is a time for humility. But more importantly, this is a time for action. Um, We saw the sketches, the outlines of it. um, But I would suggest to you that the single most important thing that we could see as a sign of backstopping confidence in the financial markets right now would be a meeting between President Trump and Speaker Pelosi and Senator Schumer. And that's what needs to happen. Would that be enough for you? Would that be the counter-cyclical circuit breaker that this market, this economy desperately needs right now? Well, it, 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 you know, frankly, in, you know, in an environment where volatility in every financial asset is off the charts and you're dealing with, uh, you know, a health emergency, which we really don't fully have our hands around, to say that one thing is enough is probably not the correct thing to say, but I think it would be very, very meaningful. I want to go to the point that Mohammed Alarian raises, which is, are we watching an orderly or a disorderly unraveling of the market? Is this just sort of the market pricing in a new reality with the economy, or are we watching sort of the functionality break down? So uh, what we would say there is um, really until, frankly, uh, the last 12 hours, it has been relatively orderly, relatively orderly. Um, you know, you've had rallies, uh, in, you know, a thousand points up, a thousand points down, but the liquidity has been there. What we've been focused on for the last several months is this whole idea that a sell-off was likely to be contained by the 200-week moving average in the S&P 500, which is essentially where you are now, where the futures are pricing. Um, Below that, you have the potential to fundamentally alter the psychology, which could cause disorderliness. Credit is in the driving seat in a big way over the last couple of days for me, and that's been the big flip over the last couple of weeks or so. We saw the primary market freeze up. We'd expect that in a period of market volatility. That's exactly what happened. But to start to see things like spreads, and I think you noted, Lisa, investment-grade spreads have doubled in what? A week, two weeks, a couple of weeks? Just like that, rapidly so. The magnitude of the move and the pace of the move, Julian, how much does that concern you? In this very moment, it, it really is the single most concerning factor. As uh, I was talking with Tom earlier, the the, the issue here is that uh, having been at all time highs in the equity markets basically a month ago, there have only been three other times where you've had this kind of volatility begin as rapidly as it has. 2708, the financial crisis, 1987, the stock market crash, and 1929. And we see the Bloomberg Financial Conditions Index, folks. I'll try to get that chart out on LinkedIn and Twitter here in a bit. And it's measured by standard deviations. And we're not the Lehman low levels, but boy, are we on our way. They are exceeding other tensions that we've seen before. You've highlighted, Julian Emanuel, that the arch tension is a so-called interest parity trade. And to just to make it a real generalized thing for, you know, simple Thursday, 
I own some equities, leveraged or unleveraged, usually leveraged, and I do a, tr- a treasury trade against that. And along the way, I have to rehedge or reset the trade. Are people, are sophisticates able to do that in this market? Are you able to rehedge? So yesterday actually saw the first sort of breakdown in in that risk parity trade because you actually saw yields rise as the equity market was falling. Now, um, from our point of view, the paradigm of risk on, risk off has been with us for essentially a generation. It was not that way prior to 1998. Um, And I might take slight issue with what John said before, is that yes, it it was part of a scary moment, but on balance, particularly if we get fiscal measures, it could be that the feedback loop of 10-year right. yields moving higher is a positive. What is the measure that the secretary, secretary can do, particularly with all the other Washington and political burdens? What does he do to assist too-big-to-fail banks now attempting to affect or process their desire to rehedge? How does he help Wall Street? Well, again, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's being front and center. I, I would say that, you know, the Treasury Secretary is taking his orders uh, elsewhere, um, but, you know, staying out there with, with small businesses, and I would say that uh, small businesses <clears throat> are more important. Yeah, but J- come on, J.P. Morgan's not a small business, right? No, it, it isn't. But the fact is, is that in this kind of situation, <clears throat> J.P. Right. Morgan's solvency is not in question. In, in the single sentence, John, from Sarah Valis's note, he's calling for 100 beep, beeps and do it fast. Yeah, there's big expectations. Yeah. Look, there is a silver lining over the last couple of days. I know it's been very stressful for a lot of people. Policymakers are starting to focus on the right things. It's happened yes, over the last true. week. I've been disappointed that it's been late, but it's starting to happen, and that's encouraging. You took issue with something I said. I've got to follow up. Why is the feedback of high yields in an environment like yesterday encouraging? Because honestly, what you want to see, frankly, the whole concept of interest rates in the U.S. going back to the zero bound, particularly on the long end, is very, very... Sure, Julian, but I want high yields because growth expectations are higher, inflation expectations are higher. I don't want high yields because people's trades have just blown up. But, and, and again, <laughs> that, that, is, that is the story of yesterday. However, we have to see if you end up getting concrete fiscal stimulus in the next several days, oh. the, the appropriate reaction should be higher yields. Smart. Julian Emanuel, thank you so much with BTIG, not only on equities, but on the derivative space, as they say, as well. Right now with us, Gina Martin-Adams, as we look at the equity uh, market. She, of course, drives all of our equity work and research at Bloomberg uh, Intelligence. A lot of discussion here about people that own equities and they wrap a bond trade around them, dampening risk until it doesn't work. Are we at a point where a blended equity and bond trade where the equities often are leveraged, borrowing money to get bigger return when it works out, are we at a point where that trade doesn't work anymore? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on whether you're talking about risk parity, which is really about volatility in the asset prices, or simply about price combination. Price combination is still working, right? Bonds are still rallying effectively. Yesterday might have been the beginning of a little bit of a bond sell-off, but we'll see after today, after the ECB 
after all the action in the equity market, you could have a reflight back into bonds. The trouble is with parity strategies, which are really based upon the volatility of those two asset classes. You've got the move index spiking, you've got the VIX index spiking, they're both completely off the charts, that's creating a lot of trouble for anybody with a volatility focus. But when you talk about sort of the asset classes themselves, you're still seeing a benefit from having that bond exposure in general. It's just a very, very volatile landscape. And when you're talking about 10-year treasuries below 50 basis points, obviously a lot of investors get nervous that we head for the zero bound. Gina, this is such a punishing market right now. If I told many people that in yesterday's session before we started, Yields would be higher at the long end. The curve would be steeper. Where are banks going to be? I'm not sure many people would say banks would be down around about 6% on yeah. the S&P 500. Yeah. What's happening beyond just the concern about rates? Uh, well, I think it's panic. I mean, this is just sheer panic. Where are we using the P word this morning? It's definitely panic. And it has been, though. I mean, this is what's really interesting about this sell-off over the last three or so weeks relative to any sell-off that we've been through, including 2008, is from the very beginning, we had signs of panic. We had signs of absolute washout in sentiment. I mean, you just don't get 5%, 6% down, 7% down days at the beginning of a crash. That's extremely unusual. You guys keep this going, but can I point out to the panic-free that gold hasn't moved? Yeah. 1638 well, an ounce? Although we can go back to sell what you can, not what you yeah. want to, and you can discuss uh, the dynamics there underpinning gold. Gina, you use the word panic. One reason why I always love speaking with you is that you look at the fundamentals and you take an even-headed approach to what we're actually <clears throat> pricing in. Yeah. At this point, given the declines that we've seen and the, uh, the declines that we're poised for today, what are we pricing into the U.S. equity market? We are now pricing recession in the U.S. We're pricing a light recession a la 2001. I mean, it's been so long since we had a light recession, it's really difficult for many to remember. But 2001 was a year in which we had two quarters of negative growth. They were split apart because we were kind of climbing our way out of a slow growth period when September 11th hit. And then we had more panic. So we've done a lot of comparisons back to 2001. But if you look over time at your average compression in PE multiples, we're there. Over the last multiple crises in the equity market, you get an average decline in PE of about 25%. We've had a 20% compression. You get an average earnings drop of about 14%. So we've priced a light recession. We have not priced something like a 2008-2009 catastrophic recession experience. Based on cash flow estimates of all of the analysts at Bloomberg Intelligence, does this seem appropriate? Are the levels that we're looking yeah. at right now and the declines in earnings, uh, is that, is that accurate? You know, it's really difficult to say, but just to be completely honest, no one knows how long the panic is going to last. And this is the, <clears throat> the trouble with this situation is we're not talking about rational sort of behavior. We're talking about panic behavior. We're talking about panic okay. behavior in the real economy with the grocery store shelves somewhat empty. We're talking somewhat. about panic ba behavior in, I went to get in, in the asset prices as well. I tried to do it's a prime gone. order. I tried to do a prime order last night. No delivery time. Yeah, but it was only yeah. beer. Yeah. You just ordered <laughs> six cases of John Curry. Three days. Okay, a panic. And this goes to what Dr. Alarian said. Alarian's joining you in the night. Yeah, right? 9 Eastern. Yeah. 9 o'clock. Mohammed Alarian with John uh, Farrell. Look at that on another Farrell property. Okay, fine. There's there's panic, but as Dr. O'Larian mentions, it's orderly panic. I don't, did you uh, see yeah. yesterday <laughs> within the electronics of yeah. the day? It's not an image of 1929. 
I'm sorry, markets are acting orderly, right? Yeah. I don't see I don't see gap bids, do I? Not yet, though Agreed, I will see yet, the percentage changes are very disorderly. So I think it depends on your perspective again. The the way that we you know the way that asset prices are moving. That's how so I heard she it. said in any way, shape, or form, Gina, go on. Yeah, the way that asset prices are moving so viciously and so rapidly is akin to a two thousand eight yeah. or a nineteen eighty or a 1929. That rapidity okay. itself is very, very but, different. But I mean, you can clear trades. You liquidity clear isn't trades. in a Thank crunch, you. right? There's no liquidity but, crunch. Nonetheless, there is this really vicious repricing yeah, I, that is extremely I, I, I unusual. Know, John wants to data check, folks. I just want to say, in the afternoon of 1987, when you started buying shares, you didn't know for three days what you got. Yeah. I mean, I know it sounds like ancient yeah. History. No, I yeah. think it's worth pointing out. Well, Lisa's it's, agreeing it is. Well, that's that's why I worry you. about. No, this is why I worry about the <laughs> yeah. P word because it is so subjective, and it's. I think mm. it's important to put numbers on it, in the way that you guys are doing. Gina, it's fantastic to see you. Thank Gina you. Martin Adams of Bloomberg Intelligence. Let's bring in someone truly expert on this. He is with Citigroup, and that is an esteemed European program put together by Willem Bowder and, of course, by Catherine Mann as well. Christian Schultz uh, joins with a very much European perspective. Christian, what is a surprise here? Well, uh, to us, not that much. Um, I, our focus was mainly on QE. Um, we had hoped for a bigger increase in the purchases of government bonds in particular. And the logic here for us was um, this is going to be a shock to the real economy's equity. Um, so companies are going to burn through a lot of cash. Um, and that's not just a liquidity, but also a solvency issue. The ECB cannot give equity to companies. Governments can. So what the ECB has to do is make sure that governments can socialize losses, um, so create fiscal room, and that requires buying government bonds. Now, the fact that they're buying private sector bonds is a bit evasive, I'd say, there. So it seems that the limits that they've set themselves, the 33 limit and so on, have scared them away from buying more government bonds, and that's not good news. Is this the influence of the Germans? I mean, are you suggesting there should have been more except for German reticence? Well, uh, the Germans, uh, I guess, would have liked a rate cut. Um, that's not happened. And that's probably not happened because the fear is that that would be worse for banks than it is good for the economy as a whole. So that, that it would be ne- negative for the economy. It just highlights that we're at the limit for rate cuts uh, at this point. Um, for, the, uh, for, the, for the asset purchases, yes, indeed. I mean, gov- buying government bonds is not something which is very popular in Germany. Uh, buying right. corporate bonds is probably more popular. So, yes, indeed, there's some resistance there, it seems. Euro Swissy stays stronger, Swiss, for those that are playing inside baseball. Lisa, we're starting to get in research, and Sebastian Galli at Nordia, he doesn't mince words about it. He says this shows a complete lack of coordination between the United States and the European Union. Which really is the key issue here is will there be sufficient response and coordination from all central banks in order to stave off some sort of serious crisis. And right now, uh, there is a question that I have looking at this response. Is it sufficient? And Christian, what's your take? Do you think that the ECB has responded effectively to the issues at hand? Well, within what they can do, they've 
probably have. As I said, it would have been better to buy more government bonds, to be more aggressive on the government bond side, because that's really what we need right now. We need fiscal space for government so that they can socialize losses if necessary, and that includes countries such as Italy. If the asset, the additional purchases, which aren't great, I mean, I'm calculating maybe 12 billion or so per month, um, if that's uh, geared towards the private sector rather than the public sector, then I'm afraid that sort of misses that point that governments have to have fiscal space here. The phrase you just said, Christian, is why we love having you on. The ability to socialize losses. That's the heart of the financial political uh, nexus. I should point euro strength all of a sudden. We did get a 113 print briefly, 112.78, slightly stronger, uh, slightly stronger euro here off this historic moment. Christian Scholz, what do you mean? Well, I translate for us socialize losses. Well, uh, companies. Um, and also households, of course, will have less income you know, through that period where we effectively are in lockdown uh, right now in Italy, but potentially in other countries uh, shortly. Um, so that will burn down uh, the equity. Uh, the the uh, debt levels remain the same. So um, companies are running out of equity and it certainly is difficult to get new equity from the markets uh, right now. So they'll turn to governments um, for income subsidies and not just for bridge loans, but literally for grants. Uh, and that requires bigger deficits. That's what I would call socializing losses. The taxpayer will have to come up for a lot of the There, <laughs> there you go. That's what you were looking for, there, Tom. That's what I was looking for, <laughs> folks. He's so delicate about it. Christian Schulz <laughs> is a gentleman. I, Lisa, this has been the conundrum for 12 years. Is it any creative destruction, however you want to put it? Good morning, uh, Mr. Schumpeter, uh, with the great memories there. But I'll, I'll tell you, Lisa, all this is in the wonderful language of socialized losses is when does the taxpayer pony up? That's really what this is all about. And ultimately, it seems like uh, that will be the answer. But there's also a question, what is the role of the central bank, right, in terms of making sure that financial markets function versus fiscal stimulus? Christian, based on what you've seen, the lack of coordination, as we've talked about globally with between the central banks and, and fiscal policymakers, what are you looking to at in terms of the European economy? Are we headed toward recession? Are we already there? How long will it last? It seems very difficult right now to avoid recession if you have the definition of two successive negative quarters, or even if we do avoid two successive negative quarters, we probably have as much uh, decline in one quarter that we can call that a recession by all uh, means. So a recession, a widening of the output gap and you know rising unemployment rates and these things, I think that will be inevitable. Of course, right now, the hope is still that uh, we will have some form of V-shape or U-shape or any kind of uh, recovery so that we get back to uh, the levels that we had of output at the end of last year relatively yeah. quickly, in which case, you know, the, you know, the socializing of losses and the liquidity support from the central banks can be temporary. But of course, there's a big risk if we don't right. socialize losses that we get a permanent shock and a, a parallel shift in the, in the GDP curve. Hugely informative. Christian Schulz, thank you so much uh, in economics in Europe uh, with uh, Citigroup. Just wonderful. They're director of Citigroup uh, economics uh, team. We will pause. There is a small blue book of two shades of blue color put out right after Robert Frost took the part in the road. And the gentleman from Amherst College, the physicist, wrote a book 
where he talked about good and bad deflation. And as I've written, let's chart paragraph, chart paragraph. It's the Ed Hyman School of Economics. Say something and show it. And we're honored on this truly historic day that Dr. Schilling would join us. I just can't say it, folks. Buy the book Deflation, read it, and reread it every three years. Gary Schilling, are we in good or bad disinflation? Uh, I, th- I think we're probably in bad uh, and bad disinflation. What's the difference? Well, the addition, addition is: do you have do you have a high productivity which pushes down prices? You have excess supply, or do you have deficient demand? And I think we're more in the deficient demand stage right now, with particularly with the right. with the virus. I know DiCaprio has the rights to the the book <laughs> Deflation, but in, but if you were to write a new version of it now, how do you fold technology? into that productivity and a good disinflation versus the bad disinflation so many of our listeners are Well, I, I, th- I think in the long run, uh, product- we are going to see productivity blossom, things like robotics, uh, <clears throat> artificial intelligence, and so on, when they get big enough to really drive productivity, but they're still in their infancy. They're not, right. you know, they're growing 100% a year or more, but they're not big enough yet to really move the overall productivity needle. So I think in the meanwhile, particularly when right. we're looking at the at the virus and the effects right now, it's more the it's more the bad deflation. The ETF SPX breaks down, Paul, we're now down seven point one percent. We just touched new weakness there for the morning below the lockdown of negative one forty on S P futures. Deutsche Bank just as a European proxy from a five point five zero to a five point four three. Where's the euro right now? One twelve thirty four sort of unched as well. Paul Sweeney exactly. with the great Gary Schilling. So, Gary, what I think people are trying to get a sense of as they try to put into context what's happening over the past couple of weeks with this coronavirus is try to put this crisis in context with maybe 2008. How do you compare the two? Well, 2008 was, of course, a, a big bubble. It was, a, it was a subprime mortgage. It was really a collapse in, in the housing sector. Uh, right now, what we're, what we're dealing with was an economies of the world which are slow and slowing. Now, of course, the stock bulls are going to claim that everything was just hunky-dory until the virus came along, but that's, it not, was. That, that's not true. It really isn't. I don't you, care. I was in triple leverage all cash. Oh, okay. I read your newsletter. Okay. Continue. Okay. All right. But, but, you, but you, look at, uh, you look at job openings, you look at wage increases and so on, they all were really slipping. And, of course, China, China has been slipping. So the point is, when you take a slow and slow, slowing economy, and then you create this shock of the coronavirus. That's what tips it into recession, in my view. And is this kind of, I guess we're past the discussion point of maybe a V-shaped recession, because uh, obviously now it appears to be more pandemic, uh, this concern globally. How do you think this is going to play out? Because we're already starting to see China get back to work. Um, and so theirs was a two to three month type of situation. Do you expect that kind of timing here for the rest of the world? Well, I mean, you, you do have a, a lag situation. I mean, first of all, China has a very different situation. They denied that it existed, and then, of course, then they locked down everything. You can do that with a top-down society. You can't do that in, in the West. So things are much more stretched out, and they want them stretched out because they haven't got enough hospital beds if they, if they wanted the whole thing to, to, to peak immediately. Uh, but then 
to reestablish the supply chains. And you know, we're we're in a change world now. I think that the globalists, the the Davos crowd, are on the way out. They have. Why been, are you looking at me like that? They have. You see how he did that? Yeah, they have been for years. But Do I look is, like the Davos crowd? This is the last. I wore this bow tie for you today because it was man of you know Western Massachusetts. You know, it's a it's a you know. Man of the Don't time. push it, Tom. <laughs> but but Trash but the point the is Davos. that this is a nail in the coffin of the, of the globalists, the the Davos crowd, and and it's really a threat to globalization because now you say you look at drugs. Where, where do we get generic drugs? We get them from China, and you say, wait a minute, this is this is uh, this is is not only self sufficiently. This is. Uh, this is defense protection. This is this is national security, and I think we're going to have. I think this is really going to change. And of course, that's where Trump has been all along. He's, he he blamed everything on on immigration and imports, and it just simply reinforces that whole feeling. So I think we're in a very ch- very changed world, and it's going to take a long time for this to get reorganized. Five so, minutes to Lagarde. Five well, minutes to Lagarde. So, so do you are you forecasting a recession in 2020? And if so, how deep do you think it could be? Oh yeah, I th- I think we're probably you know you, you never know where you are until you get all the data and the revisions in. But we probably are in a recession already, and I think it could I think it could be deep. Probably not as deep as the uh, as the subprime mortgage collapse. Real GDP declined four points. <clears throat> Uh, 2% then, maybe it's more like a uh, 3% decline, uh, but it, it could, it could right. be stretched out. Do we clear markets? Christian Schulz was brilliant with Citigroup moments ago from uh, just the great, great, great European economist by talking about socializing losses. You and I remember, Paul's too young to remember, continental <laughs> Illinois, where we socialized losses over like what, three cups of coffee? They went under. We got over it. We moved on. Was essentially yeah. we don't do that anymore, do we? Well, maybe not. But relative to Japan, we do. <laughs> Let's put it that okay, way. Okay, I'll take Rel- your point. Are, are you going to write a newsletter this week when you're done tape petting the bees, where you're going to you're going to talk about the Japanification of Europe and now the Japanification of Missouri? Well, I I I, I think I think we're you know there, that is that is a good point. But but I you know I. I mean the socialization of debt. Of course, if you if you get Bernie Sanders in there, you don't worry about it. It's all it's all socialized. But, but yeah, there's there's probably more of that. Uh, but I think what's probably going to happen here is we're going to get massive fiscal stimulus. You know, you no longer have any impediment to uh, to deficits. That went out. That's called modern monetary theory. You know, theory always follows facts. You get the facts, then you get the theory. And the idea is you have big deficits. Interest rates come down, so they don't matter. So that removes the impediment. Right. So we're going to get, I think, big stimulus. But it takes two or three years for that to actually get spent. One more question, and then we got to let you go because we got to get back to the markets before Karen Moscow gives us the full data check and all that. And then Christine Lagarde in an historic moment. What would you suggest is the best practice right now for Chairman Powell? <laughs> Fade back and punt. I don't think it. I don't think the the Fed makes much difference. Lower interest. Does rates, Donald Trump know low, that? Lower interest rates are not going to get supply chains uh, reestablished. They're not going to get people uh, getting out of their, uh, their their bomb shelters and going out and spending. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think it makes much difference. I got about 14 more questions, but we don't <laughs> need more time. Gary Schilling, thank you so much. Really honored to have you here on this historic day. I'll get out on Twitter and LinkedIn, folks. 
I, I really can't say enough about a, a seminal book of what? When did that book come out? Forty-two years ago? Is it? You know, <laughs> well, Frost, you, were, you were the publisher. I, I was. You're Frost, still, I think, still was still getting still the teaching Amherst, is, from what I remember. Anyways, the, the book Deflation. I can't say enough about it. Is a primer on good and bad deflation. And, and Paul, you heard Dr. Schilling parse there that strange word productivity. Watching this moment with a VIX 67.76, up 14 big figures, is Marcus Ashworth. We had him on earlier in the hour, and we're honored that he could come back to us as well. Marcus, what I see is a parsing of bankers helping the credit markets in a credit liquidity, even a solvency crisis. And am I right ignoring the equity markets? Is that how it works? Well, funny you say that. Uh, <laughs> I'm just looking. I'm listening to Christine Lagarde. I'm, I'm actually slightly wondering why I'm bothering. Um, I'm quite close to a window, but thankfully it's, it's solid glass, so I can't jump out. Well, that was that we did that. That's a surveillance. You have to thank Paul Sweeney and John Farrell for that. Be sure there's no open window with Ashworth around. Yeah, the stock market is just absolutely collapsing. As um, you know, we, we listen to uh, Christian Gar tell us that she's going to use all the flexibility. She can do this X and Y and Z, but no, literally no one cares. Um, you mentioned Deutsche Bank earlier. I just going to mention that they didn't call a, a, a perpetual bond uh, yesterday. Um, that bond is now trading at below 70 cents in the dollar. And that is an extraordinary thing if you think about. Uh, and it is a perpetual bond, and, you know, not read too much into it. It was at 94 before they announced that decision. It's now down 25 points since then. So just to put it into context of what's happening out there at the moment, you know, we're worrying about liquidity in the Treasury market, like seriously worrying about whether or not the U.S. Treasury, the most liquid market in the world, is actually fit for purpose. And we've got a... Clear, right. clear decision from the European Central Bank that rates can fall right. more. And Marcus, I've got to interrupt because this dovetails beautifully with two brilliant people, Marcus Ashworth and a guy named Gartman down in Virginia. Dennis Gartman brings up the S word, which is that distance from liquidity to solvency. Just make that distinction, Marcus Ashworth. How do you define liquidity where we are now versus worries of solvency? Well, it's return of rather than return on capital. And I think that's exactly what we're looking at in certain entities now. It's certainly very excellent companies in certain ways are now trading literally as if they are in distress. And, you know, mildly troubled companies are trading in, in proper distress. And that's something which is uh, going to take an awful long uh, time to sort out. Look, uh, not to put too fine a point here, Tom, the simple point here is the, the world is looking now to the United States. You guys have got to do something big and soon. I think market is expecting a Fed rate cut, possibly even today, right. another big one. And we really, really need something out okay. of the White House and Congress. Mar- Marcus, thank you so much again. Uh, just very kind of you to stay with us. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.